New York City is famous for its skyscrapers, like the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, and One World Trade Center. But this week, we're looking at buildings a little shorter than those prominent structures. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Adam Friedberg is a New York City-based photographer. His new project is the Single Story Project, which is currently on display at the Center for Architecture in Manhattan. It highlights single-story buildings in the East Village and Lower East Side. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So when did you first know you wanted to be a photographer? That is an excellent question. I don't know, but I'm going to say sometime around 1990. And what inspired you to pick up a camera? Uh, it's a it's it's a strange and long story. I was at the time um, in graduate school uh, or going to graduate school at Columbia, studying Indo-Tibetan studies, um, and I was enrolled in a program under Bob Thurman, who's Uma's dad, and I graduated college, and I was looking to become an academic, and it was, uh, you know, it was like a very kind of heavy, heavy 14-year load coming up in front of me, and I was also at the time um, teaching to make a little bit of money, uh, basically remedial English and philosophy to NYU students and um, some Parsons and New School students. And at the time, I had, uh, because I was at Parsons, I had access to the photography department, and there was a series of lectures that were going on, and I saw Stephen Mizell, and I saw another photographer called Torkel Goodnison, and something about it kind of, like, resonated with me, and I don't know what it was. I don't know what made me go and see those lectures, but I thought this is kind of fascinating. And at the time, I was studying Tibetan, and up at Columbia, and um, there was an old monk who was a Tibetan guy who was, uh, let's say, functionally in charge of the program, but he had no credentials. So he they hired him as a dishwasher in the university to, to give him some some money, but uh, you know because he was such a you know uh, elevated figure within the within that world. Uh, he kind of oversaw the whole program, even though he didn't really speak English. And I didn't have much interaction with him. But one night after coming out of a Tibetan class, I saw him in the hall. And he looked at me and he said, kind of pointed at my head. He goes, too much up there. And he pointed at my hands. He goes, you need more here. Hmm. And he told me that I needed to work with my hands. And I thought, huh, that's very strange. And I thought, well, you know, I have a couple days off during the week. I've got some time. Maybe I can go and see how those photo studios work. And uh, I just picked one of the photographers, Torkel Goodness, and I called his studio. And um, strangely, he actually answered the phone, and he had no idea what I was talking about when I called and just basically said yes to me when I asked to come in hmm. so I, so he could get me off the phone and go back to his life. And um, I came the next day or sometime that week. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody, you know, just, they just told me, go stand in the corner. And I thought the whole thing was fascinating. What I realized later was he doesn't answer his own phone. He just picked it up to make a phone call, and there was a voice there. Huh. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, and he had no idea what I was talking about. Um, 
within a, I just, whatever days I had off, I just, they, they, they let me come back. They didn't say I could come back, but they didn't say I couldn't. So I just kept coming back and I got more and more interested in it. And then one day the first assistant made a mistake with some of the film and got fired. And he looked at me and he goes, okay, you got the job. Hmm, a lot of serendipity here, huh? Yeah, pretty much serendipity. I just kind of fell into it. And uh, I had to make a decision at that moment. Was I going to do this or stay in academia? And it didn't, you know, it took about three seconds and I decided to do that. What did you first set your sights on as a photographer? Fashion. It was a fashion world. That's all I kind of understood was uh, was shooting fashion. Um, I didn't know there was really anything else. How many years did you spend doing fashion photography? I assisted in it for about three years, and then I tried to do it for, let's say, another three. And then I uh, decided I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> and um, uh, I went back and I assisted some more for a couple more years to, to make money. And I just started trying to figure out what my own work was. You know, after working for, you know, I worked for Stephen Mizell also for a while um, as a freelancer. And after seeing, you know, people at the top, um, you know, I only work for people who are very, very good. And after seeing how good they were and then seeing, like, what my own personality was and my own understanding of fashion, as much as I liked it, you know, I, I was terrible. Um, and I just thought, you know, this is like, I, I can't even hold a candle to these people. I could never operate in that world the way they do. I need to find my own way. So that's what I, I thought I could do. And uh, it took me a long time to figure out what it was I, I could do and what I would do. And what it did was you? Very, very slow. Yeah, and what did you shift your focus to? I just liked uh, shooting spaces. I, I like shooting environments, and I didn't really try to copy anything else. I just, um, you know, there were things that I liked, but um, I just tried to see things my own way. And um, I just, you know, it was a. I, I liked working with large format cameras. I liked the speed of it or the slowness of it. I liked the precision. And so I just kept going that way, and I thought, well, you know, this is what one does with them. Um, I started shooting um, you know, landscapes and architecture and um, interiors and things like that. But it, at the time, it wasn't the way that I was doing it wasn't uh, you know wasn't commercially viable. It, it was uh, you know the end of the '90s and things were end of the '90s. Yes, the end of the '90s and things were a lot more polished and uh, lit than I wanted to do them. I understood doing it that way, but, you know, having, you know, been in the places that I've seen, like, these beautiful photographs of, I said, they, I've never experienced, you know, these places the way that, the you know, that a professional photograph makes them look. It doesn't, you know, it just doesn't ring to me. So I, uh, I just did it my way. And, you know, slowly, slowly, you know, I think it it became acceptable to shoot that way. How would you describe your photography, your eye? Um, <laughs> uh, hmm. That's a good question. Possibly, I mean, I guess one way to look at it is, you know, quiet or um, objective or impartial. I try not to make things look better than they are, but as good as they can be without being better than they are. I like the mistakes. I like the, the flaws. I like scuffs on the wall and things like that. It, it adds a bit of a bit of interest to How is photographing people different from photographing architecture and landscapes, would you say? It's not. It's not except 
for for their reaction. It's it's really not different, and I don't see them in different ways. It's just you have to act a bit more of a therapist um, when you're photographing people because people are very nervous and worried, and um, they don't show themselves unless they are very um, self-possessed. And it takes a while to calm them down or distract them or... Um, especially with digital, it's very hard to photograph people because they want to see the picture right away. And most people don't know what they look like and are not happy with what they look like. I used to shoot a lot of uh, 8x10 Polaroid of people, and that was always very difficult because people were never ready to see a big print of themselves right away. Mm. So we had a system where we would uh, take them and, and just keep them behind blackboards where we'd never let the people see them right away. We'd always wait two or three days before showing anybody. If they ever got a glimpse of anything, then it, you know they would just like just just freak out in general. Do you like shooting people so, more when they're off guard, when they don't know the camera is taking their picture, compared to when you stage them? Well, I never shoot people like that, but I do. Well, I do shoot people um, sometimes in street scenes. You know, people will be included. Um, if they ever, you know, sometimes I'll get filmed back and I'll see that there's somebody in there who's staring at the camera and they often, you know, realize at that point that they're being, you know, photographed. Um, often I don't notice them while I'm photographing because they're so far away, but they you know, always look like deer in headlights. But whenever I'm doing a portrait or anything like that, or I don't shoot like street pictures where people don't know that they're photographed. When I, if there's people in my street pictures, it's they're, they're incidental to the, to the rest of the scene. Are you native to New York, Adam? I'm not. You're not. Where are you I'm from? Native. I, I'm native to Wisconsin. Um, oh. I was born in Wisconsin, lived there for about 10 years. When did you come to New York? I first came here in 86, uh, but I lived here full-time from 88. Um, I was in college in Connecticut, a place called Wesleyan University, um, from 85 to... Right, eighty-five to eighty-eight. So I guess I first came here, and well, maybe I first came here in eighty-five or eighty-six. How would you say this city has influenced you as a photographer? <laughs> I used to hate to shoot uh, to shoot here at all. I mean, I, I found the city completely uninspiring as a subject uh, up until up until probably two thousand and six or two thousand and seven. I, I I thought it was the most dreary place to shoot, and I. I I, I just longed for trips and places that I could get out of here and shoot anywhere other than here. I found the buildings to be oppressive and brown and gray and dirty, and I couldn't find a good picture no matter what I did. But um, I think at some point around 2006, I started to like to shoot buildings here a little bit better. And I think a lot of it was because of the, the major changes that were starting to happen. Before that, I was shooting um, empty lots, and that was the only thing I really liked shooting in the city. But it was uh, it was a half formed idea in my head. It was something that I was doing. Uh, the empty lots. Uh, nobody cared about it. Nobody else besides me liked it. I, I loved it, but uh, I couldn't get anybody interested in it. And then after nine eleven, I had to stop doing it because the police came every time I took my camera out mm -hmm. and uh, and swarmed me. So I, I just got tired of that happening, and I could never shoot. So we had to stop doing that for a while. And uh, it wasn't until around. 2007, maybe, I started shooting a series of uh, the changes on the Bowery. And, uh, you know, watching that change, f 
from uh, from a very kind of rundown to a very fancy uh, area was uh, quite shocking. Did you capture those changes through simply the differences in architecture or the people as well? That was architecture. Uh, again, that was architecture. I, I don't, uh, you know, once again, I don't shoot people on the street. Um, and I don't like if if there are people on the street in front of a building, I don't wait for certain people to be in front of a building or I don't take an interest in a certain kind of person. Generally, I wait for people not to be there. But if I see someone's there and they are harmonious with the scene, then I, I let them be there. You've lived in the East Village now for what, nearly 30 years? Closer to 25, 25. I would say. I, I've been, I, I was just above it. I was just uh, just a little bit uh, near, closer to Gramsci Park f- before that. So uh, a couple blocks away from the East Village. But basically this this downtown area. A lot of change over those years, huh? Yeah, kind of a uh, surprising amount of change, especially when I look back on it. It's, uh, you know, all these things that I'm I'm doing are, you know, every... I didn't come up with it. Somebody told me a long time ago, but you know, every photograph is a self-portrait. No matter what you're doing, you're you're photographing yourself. Hmm. So you know, whatever I, whatever I choose, I, I see it as some kind of reflection of myself. And the changes are kind of. And the reason it's become interesting to me now is I, I wonder, you know, as it changes, as it changes, eventually the you know the gears have changed. It will grind me and people like me up as well, you know, we won't be able to be here forever. And I don't know what it's going to be like after. Um, the change is kind of highlighted or highlight. Um, what is interesting about the neighborhood? And, and I think kind of the mixture of, you know, of high and low that's come in has, uh, has made things interesting, but it's, it's not something that can last. And that's, that's kind of put a kind of fire under me to, to show it a little bit more. Let's talk specifically about your single story project. Tell us about that. That came uh, out of a, a, a visual kind of uh, visual realization. I was crossing. Um, there's a new Cooper Union building, a uh, big black glass thing at uh, at uh, Astor Place, and I was crossing over Third Avenue at St. Mark's just. Uh, and I, I looked across the street, and I thought, this is a very interesting block between 9th Street and St. Mark's. There was an NYU uh, building, very tall in one corner, and uh, an old building on the other, which was three or four stories. And then in between, there was just this... Two, there were actually two single stories right in between. And I thought, well, that's weird. It kind of looks like a broken tooth. There's a huge amount of sky in front of it. I, I think it's, it's very strange. You never think about it. I've always thought about the East Village as being a very kind of low area. There's no really tall buildings around here, very very few except for the like um, city housing and things like that. Um, you're kind of used to things being six six stories or less. And um, whenever I, you know, the story that I tell is whenever I come back from somewhere, whenever I fly back to New York and I'm on um, the BQE heading back from the airport, and you look over at the skyline, you see Midtown, which is all very tall. You see the uh, Financial District, which is all very tall. And then you see this kind of long, flat area in between. And this, I said, you know, flat area is home. I live in the low-lying flat area. And, you know, as soon as the kind of taller ones start to go up, 
it, it starts to blend in because, you know, we, we're getting a lot of tolerance in. So I thought about that, you know, that kind of broken tooth there at uh, St. Mark's, and I thought, well, somehow or another I should take a picture of this, and I don't really know how or I don't know why. And I went and I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at it, and I thought, okay, and I, just, I took a I, – I thought, you know, this will work. I, I think I did four or five tries before I got something, but um, for some reason I thought it would work well in 5 by 7 black and white film. Um, it's not a format that I had shot much before, but, um, I don't know, it seemed to fit. And so I just made that decision. I went over there and I got one picture and then I, I went to, uh, first Avenue another day and I looked and I said, Oh, there's, there's a Rite Aid right there. And that's a big single story. Strange. So I thought, well, maybe I'll shoot that too, because it had, it was, you know, it had, uh, another new Cooper Union building kind of looming behind it. Um, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And I met up with some people that I knew, and I showed to them. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, well, this, and I don't really know what it is. And they said, well, this is really interesting. And I said, well, possibly. And they said, you should, you know, how many of these are there? And I said, oh, I don't know. I haven't researched it, but there's probably, you know, 10 or 15 in, in the neighborhood or something like that. I said, I know there's some more in Chelsea, and I said, but they said, oh, you should do more of them. They're they're visually interesting, and it was it was about, you know, for me it was really about the space above the building, and how the single story itself uh, allowed all the space that uh, the buildings around it, you know, took up. So this negative space, it really was an idea of negative space. And I just, you know, I thought, okay, you know, it's it's kind of a, an obvious idea, but. I'll do it if you if you people think it's interesting. And I thought, you know what? Let me just make this a thing. Let me make it a kind of an obsessive thing where I'm going to do every one of them that's left because it can't be more than 30. You know, it'll take me a couple months and I'll just do them all. And so I slowly started to research them and I started to realize, oh, there's 40, 50, 60 of them. And I go, well, you know, I've got to define an area because... Otherwise, it'll never stop. So I thought, well, what's my area going to be? And I thought, well, where do I live? I live below 14th Street. I live east of Broadway. I live above Canal Street. And I live east of, no, sorry, west of Avenue D. I go, that's kind of my, that's my territory. And when I cross out of that territory, I feel like I'm territory. I, I feel like I'm in someone else's area. I don't. I don't feel bad. I just. I just feel like this is not my territory. Mm-hmm. And so I, I. I made that, and I, I did research, and I just kept finding more and more and more of them. And each one I found was like, oh, this is going to be very difficult to shoot. Oh, this is going to be very difficult to shoot. But by then, um, I'd said in a project statement that I would shoot every one of them. And the New York Times had put out a um, a little piece about about the single story project, and it said, you know. I said that he was going to do every one of them. I go, oh, oh no, now I'm stuck. Now I have to do every one. And I go, what did I get myself into? And uh, you know, six months turned into a year, turned into two years, and um, I just kept finding more and more of them. In the end, I found, you know, I found over a hundred. But after doing the research, it turned out that there were ninety-seven. So nine, ninety-seven. And you know, the other thing about them is I, I shot them without cars. And I shot them without people. So this is not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like you went out dark and early quite often. Uh, dark and early, and 
Yeah, just doing a lot of research on parking times, but, you know, the this alternate side, and then kind of bargaining with people not to, you know, not to park there. Revisiting certain places I revisited over 20 times before I got the shot. Also, the light was relatively consistent on, on all of them, so I couldn't do it on any day. I couldn't do it on a bright, clear day. Also, you had to do it at certain times of year because maybe the parking, uh, you know, maybe there were trees in front of things that completely obscured things. It's all kinds of things. It, it it was, you know, if I had hair, I would have pulled it all out. <laughs> what kinds of establishments are represented in these photos? What kinds of single-story buildings did you capture? Well, we for the show, we uh, at the uh, Center for Architecture, we broke it down to six categories. Churches. Storefronts, I'm not going to remember all six. Churches, storefronts, um, strips, so like uh, groups of storefronts in, 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 in long buildings. Um, what else was there? There was in, uh, industrial uh, garages and repair shops and things like that. And also another one was cultural and community. And an, another one was government buildings, I believe. Do some folks think that you're trying to send a message here, an anti-development message with this project? I hope not, but probably. That's not probably your intent. People think it's certainly not my intent. Um, as I started to mention earlier, you know, it, change is necessary, and um, and I, I am in no way against change, and I'm. Um, you know, I don't lament. Uh, I guess another way, I don't lament what has happened to the neighborhood so much because, you know, it's you can't live forever. Things can't be maintained forever. There's a reason that I'm not particularly interested in the West Village, as lovely as it is. But it's, there's too much preservation that goes on over there, and it gets, it gets stale. I, I do think it's very lovely over there. But, um, you know, these buildings, they're not architecturally significant, most of them. They're not particularly interesting by themselves, most of them. They weren't interesting to me until I noticed them, and I didn't notice them until the changes started. Um, the owners, what I've, you know, the couple owners that I did talk to were desperate to sell them. They want out. They don't, their kids don't want to take over their businesses. Their businesses aren't, you know, particularly doing well. They say they're getting killed by taxes. Um, and construction sites, when when there's new things going up, I mean, it employs a lot of people. And I shoot architecture for, for work sometimes. It employs people like me. Um, I know a lot of architects. They're not uh, they're not there trying to destroy things. I mean, developers, they're, you know, like, if you compare them to sharks, sharks are necessary. They clean up. They they feed on, you know, they, they take care of the weak. And uh, so that gives room for the rest to be strong. Um that said, you know, there there is some message to it, which is, you know, let's think about scale. Um, let's think about how high we need to go. Let's think about how many condominiums we actually need, um, because most of them that are torn down were replaced by, you know, condos with one one unit on each floor, it seems like, um, or, you know, not... Not housing for the kind of people that traditionally have lived around here. Let's put it that way. Um, and all those people are, are kind of being displaced. And what happens is is most of the 
most of the local stores tend to close down when those people go away. And it's not just, you know, it's, it's Amazon's fault. It's online shopping's fault. It's, it's not just the developers, but it's not helping. So, you know, there's, there's some message. It's just not an overt, like, you're doing something wrong. It's just, you know, maybe we can think about scale a little bit. Are many of the single-story buildings you photographed now gone? Many are. I don't know how many are. Um, I, I'd i say at least 10 of them are. There were another five or six that were on the list that I didn't get because they were torn down um, while I was shooting, and I wasn't able to get them um, while doing the project, so I feel bad about those. Um, a couple of, you know, mostly gas stations. Gas stations got just torn down quickly, and there's no longer any gas stations downtown. Are you more inspired by the city now than you were when you first were here and not feeling it so much? I'm inspired because I feel like I'm on a mission. I've got, you know, five or six different projects that I'm working on right now. Single Story is basically wrapped up. I have no plans to extend it beyond um, the East Village. You know, Chelsea was an option at one point, but uh, I don't feel compelled to do it. But I, I do feel more like the East Village and the Lower East Side are my territory, so I'm I'm covering those. I'm You know, I wake up m- most mornings at 5 and you know, check outside, check different locations if they're ready to shoot. That's what I did this morning. I was out at 5.30 checking things, and I just got back about half an hour ago from shooting all day. I, I feel that that time is running out, and, um, you know, I've got many, many things to shoot before that happens. It's just a question of um, you know, Kodak and Ilford making enough film, and uh, can I can I get it in time? What's on the bucket list? Well, the first project that I did that I started in '99 is the Empty Lots project, and that is not that is not a location specific in terms of it's not East Village only. It's it's all over Manhattan, but uh, I mean, I pretty much mean below Central Park. Um, I thought at one point that I was, you know, pretty much done with it, but the more I look around, uh, something economic has happened in the last couple of years, which is. Uh, overdevelopment where they have demolished a lot of buildings all over Midtown, um, all over, kind of all over the place. There's a lot of demolished things, and then the financing for the projects that they were going to try to build there fell through. And so there's a lot of lots that are just sitting not as... So I don't shoot construction sites. If something started building, I don't shoot that. But if something's been demolished and then it's just sitting there, that's you know, that that uh, qualifies as an empty lot in my project. And those, I'm just like, and those are just piling up for me to do. And, um, you know, some of those that I've shot have, you know, now started construction. Um, but, I, I, you know, if it's sitting for like three weeks or something after dem- demolish, I, I don't do that. I kind of wait six months or so and see is something going to happen here. Um but you know, once it has its time to sit, and those I'm shooting on eight by ten color, so that's that's kind of a a different thing. There's you know, there's many different kinds of empty lots there. They're for different reasons. That project started, you know, back when I was living uh, in Alphabet City, and I was living on Third Street, and half of my block was empty lots, and those lots were empty because nobody wanted to develop over there, and the old buildings were torn down probably in the 70s and 80s. And nobody built them, so they were just sitting there. And I thought, 
I thought I wanted to do something at the time different than shooting architecture for money, to be paid to shoot architecture. And I thought, well, what is the opposite of shooting architecture for money? And I thought paying to shoot not architecture would be the opposite. Hmm. And so not architecture would be an empty lot, and paying would be to get 8 by 10 film and do it as extensively as possible. Why not? What's your advice to up-and-coming photographers today, aspiring photographers? I always give the same set of advice to photographers. Don't become a photographer. Hmm. And if you listen to that advice, you never should have become a photographer because nobody wants you to be a photographer. Nobody ever wants another photographer in the world. You have to tell yourself that you're going to be a photographer and you will never quit. And it doesn't matter what me or anybody else says to you. You don't take anybody else's advice. You don't listen to anybody else. You only do what you think is right. That's all you can do. And if you never quit, you won't lose. And people have until, what, February to check out your single-story project at the Center for Architecture? End of February. End of February. They decided to close it on a leap day, so it's good that it uh, didn't uh, start next year, otherwise it'd be up for four years. Great. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Adam Friedberg's Single Story Project is on display through February 29th, 2020 at the Center for Architecture in Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Cityscape on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening.